Today's scripture reading is Matthew 13, 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that they got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and getting us to this point of the day, for your mercy, for the very breath in our body that we have and that you have given. It truly is a gift. We don't deserve it. You are faithful. Mercy and grace truly does follow us all the days of our lives. And I pray, Father God, that you would now till the soil of our heart, that you would plow, that you would water, and that you would grow the seeds that will be planted today for your namesake and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in college, a friend back home of my family gave me some tickets to see uh, the Oprah Winfrey show live. <laughs> All right, now, I wasn't a big Oprah fan, right? I was a guy growing up in Chicago. I just didn't really watch talk shows, but I was excited. Oprah was a big deal. So I took a group of my friends to, the, to her show, and it was the saddest show ever. No, it really was. It was the saddest show ever as it was uh, recounting the heroes of 9-11, and it had family members who's, uh, who lost loved ones during, during that time. And there was a sad tissue was handed out, uh, was grateful for the men and women who, who served and made sacrifices. But after the show, um, I got to go backstage and meet her um, along with her staff. And they were nice and kind, and it was just a hard day. It was a hard show, but it was an amazing backstage experience. And uh, I got to see Oprah behind the scenes, live and in person. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where maybe you were someone like, no, I've never seen Oprah Winfrey. Like, uh, thank you for being honest. This is what we encourage here at Sojourn, right? <laughs> You're jealous. No. Uh, but have you, have you ever met anyone that, you, that was interesting? Or maybe it was even just someone at the, in the church that you always wanted to meet, have coffee with, hear their story. Or perhaps it was an, a local artist or a musician, and you get to meet them backstage or take a picture with them, do a selfie, and it's like, wow. 
And normally when we have experiences like that, they either go really well or maybe really bad. After you leave that experience, you're just thinking to yourself, man, that was awesome. They're everything I thought that they would be. Or, man, that was pretty rough. They're nothing how I thought they would be. But at the end of the day, you got to see behind the scenes. Well, when I read the Gospels, a lot of times I'm just looking for themes of how Jesus interacts to the, with the crowds and then how he interacts with people personally. And I'm never disappointed. Sometimes I'm confused, but I always like saying, what was Jesus like when he wasn't on? What was he like when he wasn't in front of thousands of people or performing a miracle? Well, today's text, we get to see Jesus um, take a few disciples after he has preached to uh, thousands of people and just do life with them and explain a, a really tough parable to them. Now, as we listen to this parable, we're like, this isn't a tough parable. This is the easiest parable of them all. We know what it is, many of us say, because we went to Sunday school or we had someone, another preacher, preach this passage. But remember, to the first century Jew, to the person who was on the crowd, um, this was something that they would have listened to and said, I'm not sure, many of them, I'm not sure what he's talking about. Even the disciples, they're like, what is he talking about? All of a sudden, he's talking about agriculture. But in this text, we see... In verse 1, that the scene is set, it says that at the same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by a lake. And there was a large crowd that gathered and that people stood on the shore. So I want you to see this scene. Jesus is in a boat, the one who created the waters. His voice now is hitting the waters. And people have this great acoustic sound as he is, is preaching to them in a boat they're probably sitting on a slope listening to Jesus. And then he's going to tell a parable. And the key to interpreting this parable is to think about the context and what's happening. Jesus is under fire. He's under heavy critique by the religious leader of his day. The Pharisees have just critiqued him for the way in which he treats the Sabbath. <laughs> they critique Jesus for the way in which he treats the Sabbath. And he's the one that made the Sabbath. They go so far to call him a demon. They say he's Beelzebub. Uh, they compare him to, to Satan. This is satanic what he is doing. His family, they're confused by his ministry. They're not even believers in his ministry. James, his brother, doesn't even come to faith until after his resurrection. They're trying to pull him away from what he is doing. And then Jesus breaks out into parables and he talks about a farmer, perhaps out over and beyond, maybe there's a farmer that's throwing seeds and everyone's looking as he gives this illustration. Perhaps there's a field near that everyone is kind of connecting with. We don't know. But what we do know is that he points our attention to four types of soil. He points our attention to a path. He points our attention to rocky places. He points our attention to thorns. And he points our attention to good soils. And, and in verse 10, the Bible says that the disciples came to him and they asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Remember, a parable is a small story with a big point. It is Jesus throwing a story or a statement alongside principles that he has been teaching. And they ask, why are you teaching in parables? Why, why aren't you being clear with, the, with, with what you're saying? So Jesus, behind the scenes, takes a few disciples to the side, and he says these words in verse 11. 
because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their eyes and they have closed with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Blessed are you because your, your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but do not see, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear. Well, Jesus taking them alongside, he points to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see that King Uzziah has died. And right before King Uzziah has died in the book of uh, Isaiah, we see that God is pronouncing judgment on his people because they listen and they hear, but they do not obey. They disregard his word. They have disregarded his warnings. So Isaiah has this vision of God. And then Isaiah is called to go to God's people and to preach God says, who shall I send? Who will go? Isaiah says, send me, O Lord. But then God tells them, but you will preach and they will not hear. They will have eyes, but they will not see. In other words, your message will not be a message that they will receive. It will be a message of condemnation because they have turned from me. So what is Jesus doing here? What is Jesus saying? In telling this parable, Jesus is telling the disciples, Essentially, that this parable, what I have spoken, is a parable of judgment on the people in whom I'm talking to. This is a, a word of judgment. I am speaking uh, in parables because these people have closed their hearts to me. Some say that this parable is the parable of all perils. Robert Capon uh, says that this is the watershed parables. Right after this, we get seven more parables that Jesus is going to teach about the kingdom of God. After teaching so clearly in Matthew, the first 12 chapters is, is very clear. I mean, Jesus is laying it out who he is and what he is. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in eyes, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He's been teaching pretty clearly. You are the salt. You are the, the light of the world. Be aware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who practice their righteousness to be seen by men. But over and over and over, Jesus has taught these words, but he knows that even though there is a big crowd that follows him, everybody that's there aren't there because they want him. Some people are just, just there 
to fit in the crowd. Jesus takes his disciples. He says, no, you all are are the ones whom the kingdom is being given to. You all are the ones who are truly my disciples. And because of that, I am going to draw near to you and give you more of an understanding. And that's what we see happening in this text. Jesus brings his disciples near, and in verse 18 through verse uh, 23, he is going to break down his parable, and he's going to give an invitation to his disciples, and at the end of the day, the invitation is to listen and it's to hear. He's saying, don't be, don't be like these people who are following me, but not trusting me, who are following me, but don't want a relationship with me, who are following me, but who aren't taking my words seriously. I mean, contextually, when I look at this parable, I, I see, a, see a, a number of things. Jesus talks about what happens along the path. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and that's the seed that's going out that this farmer is sowing, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So he's explaining it. And when we hear this this vision of the seed hitting the path, I want you to think about the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees, if they had to label themselves, they would probably label themselves as the intellectual ones, as the deep ones, as the ones that were constantly critiquing Jesus and taking what he had to say and and comparing it to the law. They were there, but they weren't there because they loved him. They they weren't there because they were amazed that he could do miracles. They weren't there because they believed that he was a prophet. They were there to be critical because they they, they loved money. They loved their power. They loved their prestige. They were there really to, to just blend in and protect their position. They had calloused hearts. Then he talks about another type of soil. He calls it the rocky ground. The seed falling on rocky ground, he interprets the passage, refers to someone who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And contextually speaking, to Jesus' audience, perhaps Jesus here was, was talking about the crowds, thousands of people before social media found Jesus and followed, followed him. But Jesus knew what was really happening. After all, he's God. He knew what was really going on in many people's heart. In fact, in the Gospel of John, we have an illustration of story and we see what was happening. Jesus feeds the multitude, fish and bread, five loaves of fish, uh, of bread, two, two fish, and everybody gets excited. The next day they wake up, they're looking for Jesus. They're like, where is this Jesus? This man is dope. It's crazy. Like, he turned a buffet out of a, a kid's lunch pile. Like, we want to crown him king. And they're looking for him. And Jesus senses he knows why they're there. He's there because he gave good chicken last night for free. Everybody wants him to be king. So what does Jesus do? 
Jesus preaches a hard message, a confusing message. He says, anyone who's going to come after me, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And they said, say what? <laughs> and the Bible says that the crowds, they left. Disciples, was there left with Jesus? One of them speaks up. Jesus says, why are you still here? He says, where else will we go? We don't always understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but something has happened in our hearts. And even when we don't understand you, even when we can't trace you, we're learning to trust you. And Jesus is able to give them a word. But the crowds, they scatter. Then we read about the thorns in verse 22. The seed fell, falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Here, when I'm thinking contextual, I like to think of perhaps this type of soil is Judas Iscariot. Judas followed Jesus, was with them day in and day out. Judas saw Jesus' ministry, but at the end of the day, Judas was slowly choking because his heart was not with Jesus because of who Jesus was. His heart was constantly seeking, what can I get out of this for myself? So when an opportunity came, because money and wealth, materialism owned him, he disowned Jesus for a few pieces of silver. So Jesus is, is breaking his parable down and he's saying, These, this is what's happening in a crowd. When I'm preaching, don't be deceived. Everybody here is not good soil. I'm sowing seed, but it's not falling on fertile ground. The, the, the word, the seed is not getting in there like it, it should. And I just want you to know that when I'm preaching, I'm breaking stuff up. And I'm going to start talking in parable for, to, in order to separate the crowds, almost as a pronouncement of judgment. Just like Isaiah gave a pronouncement of judgment and, and Israel was taken in Babylonian captivity. These people who I've come to, my people who are rejecting my word, so will judgment come on them. And we know more than a handful of centuries later that judgment will come on Jerusalem. The question is, what does this have to do with us? How, what do we do with this? And the answer is, I think we, we embrace two invitations. And the first invitation that this text calls for us to embrace, it gives us an invitation to stop and to evaluate the soil of your own heart. That is a great temptation. And I fell into that temptation this week, early in the week as I'm reading through this text. As I'm doing my observation, I'm thinking about these levels of soil. I'm thinking about the last 12 years of ministry. And, and I, I, I'm sinfully just putting people in these categories like, oh, that explains what happened here. And then the spirit was like, now nah, stop looking at everyone else and trying to put them in a category of soil and make sure your heart isn't hard soil. Stop thinking about Lisa or Bob. Some of us even here, we think, oh, this explains Lisa. My goodness, I'm going to pray for her. She's so thorny. <laughs> this explains Nuke Nuke. Like, man, Nuke Nuke just be tripping. All joyful on Sunday, then he goes home, and it's like he never came to church. Ah, perhaps this explains you. Amen. 
Let's sit in that for a minute. What's the soil of your heart? What do you do with the word, the message of the kingdom that the life is found under the rule of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ? Is your heart the hard heart? Is the the soil of of your heart the heart heart that's spoken of as being along the path? Are you like the Pharisees? Is this an intellectual exercise? When you hear a message go forth, are you critiquing it and comparing it and thinking about what wasn't said or how it was said rather than What is God saying to me? God hadn't called us to have a big head, to just be puffed up with knowledge as the church of Corinth. God has called us to submit and to surrender under his his word, to be learners, yes, disciples, yes, but we ought to evaluate the 18 inches from our cranium to our own heart. And they say, Lord, am I caught up in, in a worthless religion? Am I like the Pharisees, just legalistic and, and, and comparing people to my law and my rules? And, and is it all about me? Am I protecting my power and my position as opposed to saying, Lord, here am I. Plow my heart, work my heart, till my heart, draw my heart to you. Perhaps the invitation is for us to see that some of us Even as Christians, in this season of our life, our heart is rocky. The rocky ground is the one that hears the word and that experiences with joy. It has a joyful experience. It has maybe a a charismatic experience. That person comes to church and they say, man, this was a great experience. And, And it's a great experience for a while until things get hard. When the sun comes, Jesus says it. It scorches the seed. That's the person who has joy in their heart when they first hear the message, but when things get tough, rather than run to Jesus, they run from him. Rather than trust them, they doubt him. They look around and compare themselves to everyone else. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, he's giving you an invitation to get rooted to expect trials, to expect to feel like an anomaly as you live in this world. And it is hard because life has a way, man, life has a way of beating you down. Life has a way of just stripping you. Life has a a, a way of just being so somber sometimes and so dark. I I understand and I know And this week I had to pray, Lord, Lord, help me not to have such a, a rocky heart when things get rough and tough to do the moonwalk and to slide backwards. Help me to stay rooted in the moon move forward. And and perhaps the invitation to you today is to see the witness of Scripture and to be reminded it's not if trials come, but it's when trials come. That everybody's got some, some rockiness in their life. Everybody's going through. You may not see it on Sunday morning because people put up their masks and their, their masquerades and lie to each other and say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Everybody ain't always blessed and highly favored. Underneath that blessedness is some brokenness. Underneath that, bre- ble- that blessedness is some loss. Underneath that blessedness is some dreams that have been deferred. Suffering is the way of the saints, Acts Moses. 
Moses, a friend of God, suffered. Suffering is the, the way of the saints. Acts Hannah. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm for you, but I'm still without. Suffering is the, the way of the saints. Acts Jeremiah. Lord, you called me at a young age. I'll go to the nation. Suffering is the way of God's people. Acts, Acts David. Acts Elijah. Acts Isaiah. Acts, just ask around. Look around. Suffering is the, the way of Daniel. It was the way of Peter, history says, was crucified upside down. Suffering is the way of even those who are perfect. Acts Jesus. And the invitation to you today is to see that suffering happens because we stay in a fallen world, impacted and affected as a result of Adam's sin. And even as Christians, those who are redeemed, sometimes the sun is going to scorch us. But God, perhaps that's you today, rocky heart, have a, always looking for an experience. If you're not having an experience, you doubt whether or not you belong to God. Listen, Christianity is not about having an emotional experience. Sometimes you go through the wilderness, but you got to know that you know that, that you're with God in a way you know that you know that you're with God is not because you have this experience with them or not because everything is going the way you think it should go. The way that you know that you're with God is because you remember being captivated by what Jesus did for you. You remember what it's like to once be dead and, and then made alive in Christ. You remember what it was like to realize that that resurrected Savior died for you. And you remember what it was like when he took your stony, rocky heart and gave you a heart of flesh and gave you joy in the midst of sorrow. So we fix our eyes on the cross. Not on the things that's crippling us in our situation, and perhaps the invitation to you is to be like, just ask yourself, am I the thorn? Thorns refer to someone, Jesus says, who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes the word. Thorns represent the person that's distracted. All of us get distracted. I get distracted. You get distracted. Saints of old got distracted. Moses got distracted. David got distracted. We all get distracted. Perhaps that's you today. As you sit here under the word, perhaps you're distracted. Perhaps you find yourself in a place where you are chasing the things of this world and Christ is no longer fresh to you. Second point I want you to see, the second invitation is an invitation to evaluate the way that you view the salvations of others. This text reminds us that bad soil can become good soil. This text reminds us what God can do with bad soil because all of us started off as being along the path. All of us started off with a heart that was dead. And that's the, that's the Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian, to admit that we, we were all that soil that did not receive the word well. Remember, Saul of Tarsus turned Paul. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. His focus was religion and not relationship. He was far from God, but God made his heart alive. Christian history teaches us 
about the North African theologian um, Augustine. Augustine had a hard heart, and it was years of God plowing his heart and making his heart soft and that soil soft and, and turning it over until the seed of God's gospel and his kingdom made his heart alive. And the question for you is who, who in your life, after evaluating your own heart, who in your life has a hard heart, maybe a rocky heart? or a thorny heart? Who have you given up on? Who have you said they just will never get? What type of person, what religion are they in? What type of lifestyle do they have? How, how do they dress? How do they talk? This is an invitation for you, saints, to just so seize generously knowing that God can do a, a miraculous work in the soil, in any type of soil. Reminded by Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died. They came to Jesus and said, Lazarus, our brother is dead. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lazarus is dead. Jesus said, no, he ain't dead. He's sleeping. They're like, no, nah, he's dead. He's like, no, nah, he ain't dead. He's sleeping. They're like, no, nah, he's dead. He's like, all right, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and there's people that you look at and you say they're dead. And there's no hope for them. And what did Jesus do with Lazarus' body? He told Mary and Martha, show me where you laid him. That's what God is saying to somebody in this room today. Show me where you laid that person because I'm in the business of making dead hearts live again. Just sow the seed. Well, I'm afraid. What if I'm rejected? Just sow the seed. To some, it's an aroma of life, and to others, it's an aroma of death. Just sow the seed. You're just a mail carrier. Just deliver it. Don't open it up. Don't try to change it. Don't throw it at people. Just deliver it. Just sow the seed. God is also calling us here to accept the invitation to remember that though we celebrate when someone comes to faith, that we need to encourage them to persevere. Encourage them to persevere. Both the rocky ground and the thorns receive the word and have an experience that looks like they have accepted it. And it's a reminder to us that just because someone appears to have accepted the message, it does not mean that they belong to Christ. As believers, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. The race is not given to the strong nor to the swift, but to he or she who endures to the end. And that's a word for you and me too, to remember. It's not about how you start, it's about finishing. And that those whom the Father has given to Jesus are those who will persevere to the end. I have learned to rejoice when people have, get baptized. Just like Luke 15 tells us, when, when one person repents, all the angels in glory rejoice. We should rejoice. We should throw a party. We should be excited that one who was lost is now found, who was dead has now been made alive. But we also should be sober. And at some point, we should look them in the eye and say, praise God. Now, persevere. Storms are coming. Trials are coming. Satan's going to try to steal that seed, protect that seed, and persevere. Jesus gives us an invitation here. Verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and who understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. Listen, 
Today, if you realize, hey, my heart is hard. My heart is being choked by the things of the world. That choking, that's a picture of a, a slow death. The response here is not to say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to make my soil more uh, uh, a palatable. No, the invitation here is to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me a soft heart. Jesus, draw me back to you. Jesus, you are the perfect farmer. Plow my heart. Water my heart. Treat my heart. Give my heart the nutrients that only you can give. This is a call not to do better or to work harder, but this is a call to cry out to your God and to say, Lord, help me to love your word. Psalm 119, over and over, Lord, help me to treasure your word. Lord, my heart is far from you. I need you. And it's also an invitation. If you're here today to not sit in condemnation and guilt and shame, but to remember Christ, your mediator. The disciples, the in crowd, the eleven who were the ones that were blessed to hear and to understand and receive. Well, soon we see in the gospel narrative of Matthew turn to rocky soil. Christ will be betrayed with Judas's kiss, taken away in the night, trialed in multiple courtrooms, and he wouldn't receive justice in one. He'll be taken down to Via Della Rosa, the, the road of sorrow, be crucified and buried. And all the while, those that he spent those intimate moments with, those that he shared the secrets of the kingdom with, all the while, they will disappear and run and hide in fear. And when Jesus comes back from defeating death and declaring all power is his, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say, where were you? He doesn't shame them, but rather he cooks for them. He shows his wounds. He forgives them. And then he says, go and sow more seeds. Feed my sheep. And that's God's invitation to you. Is your heart along the path today? Repent. Confess, receive forgiveness, and go and sow more seeds. Is your heart rocky today? Repent. Confess. Look to Christ and go and sow more seeds. Is your, your heart a little thorny today, being slowly choked away because of materialism and comparison, wishing that your life was different? Repent. Confess. Look to Christ. Sow more seeds, for this is the Christian life, beloved. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. He says, this is my body broken for you. He broke bread and gave thanks. Then he took a cup and says, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. 
here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine. Whatever your conscience permits. And every week, this meal reminds us of God's love for us. The fact that he has sowed a seed and that seed died. And through that seed's death, fruit came about. And every time we take this meal, we remember his death and we remember that we too must die in order to bear fruit. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to take this meal, but I want to plead with you to consider Christ. Following Jesus is not solely an intellectual exercise. God is not asking you to put aside your intellect or not to be a thinker. No, Christianity is historically rooted and valid. Following Jesus requires faith. It means, Lord, even though I don't have all the answers, I'm going to trust you in the areas where I can't trace you. Today, I want you to see Jesus as a crucified and risen Savior and by faith place your trust in him. Those of you in the front half of the room, come to the front to take communion. Back half of the room, go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.